If you have your Bibles, please, Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at two different passages today, one in Numbers chapter 13 and the other in Joshua chapter 1. The nation of Israel is literally knocking on the door of the promised land. And here in Numbers chapter 13, they're in the wilderness of Paran, which is in the southern region of Canaan, right on the edge of Canaan. And you can feel and sense the anticipation of them finally being able to enter into the promised land that has been promised to them for over 400 years. It's almost moving day. They're no longer slaves in Egypt like they were during those four centuries. But instead of being a nation without a country, they will actually have land that is their own with borders. But God is not just going to hand them the land. He wants to grow and exercise their faith in the process of it. And he already started working on their faith with the ten plagues. Those plagues struck Egypt, and God showed himself very mighty. And when they were leaving Egypt, going through the Red Sea, God showed himself great again by parting those waters, Israel getting through, and right when the most powerful army in the world, the Egyptian army, the army with the most chariots, the most horses, the most soldiers, got right to the middle of that Red Sea, God closed the waters. God's been building their faith. And now he wants them to have the promised land, but he wants to build their faith in the process. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, we have some instructions from God to Moses. And it begins reading there, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. And every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, everyone a ruler among them. So the instruction is given that of the 12 tribes, each tribe is to provide one man that is going to go out scouting this land. Now the next verses list all of the names of the men and the tribes that they are from. We're not going to take time to read all of that. We're now going to go to verse number 17. Once those men are chosen, instructions go on further, and Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said unto them, get you up this way southward and go into the mountain. And see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, or whether they be few or many. And tell me, too, what the land is that they dwell in, whether the land is good or bad, and the cities that they dwell in. Tell me if they're in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And then I'd like to insert right here the words, no matter what you see, and be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit, bring back some of the fruit of that land. And then the Bible just enters in here, now is the time of the first ripe grapes. And off this hand-picked reconnaissance team goes, For what will be a round trip of almost 500 miles, taking over 40 days. 
The team travels through the desert. In verse 23, we're told that they stop in a place near Hebron. They're instructed to bring back some of the fruits of the land. And in Hebron, they stop and they get a cluster of grapes to come back and show Israel this is fruit of the land. If you and I went to Harris Teeter and got a cluster of grapes, we could probably fit it in one of those clear bags that they have, and I could hold it up right here. But in Hebron, the Bible tells us the cluster of grapes they picked was so large, so heavy, so massive, they had to attach it to a pole and have a man on each end of that pole to carry that one cluster of grapes. In verse 27, And they told him and said, We came unto the land, whether thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. After those spies come back, they report... And they say, okay, we went to the land just like you told us. And truly, there is milk and honey. What does that mean? It means the land was very fertile. There would be lots of crops. It could sustain a lot of cattle. And as they are giving their report, the two men holding that cluster of grapes make their way to the front of that stage so that everyone watching can see the fruit from that land. Imagine the eyes getting big and the oohs and the ahs. And the people are ready to start their celebration. But in verse 28, the story takes a dark turn. Verse 28 starts with the word, nevertheless. You could also insert the word, but. Have you ever been in a conversation and you're talking with someone and everything is great, but then they insert a but? What happens? The conversation takes a turn. You drop your car off at the mechanic because you're going on a trip. Hey, just look it over. Let me know what you find. The mechanic comes up. Man, your engine is great. Your tires are great, but oh, I almost made it. What does that mean? There is something negative to follow. So the spies, they show off these grapes and everything is wonderful, but the people. The people of the land are strong. And dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw, and the man speaking at this time in my mind makes a dramatic pause and stops as we saw the sons of Anak. An audible gasp, all in unison across the crowd. The sons of Anak had the reputation of being giants in the land. We're familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a descendant of Anak. And we could guess Goliath's height of being somewhere between 9 foot and 10 foot. And this race of people is in this land. And everyone knew exactly what the children of Anak meant. Fear immediately ripples through the crowd. What started off as such a great report of the land now turns south. And a man steps forward. His name is Caleb. He comes to the front and now it is his turn to speak. What does this man Caleb say? Verse 30 tells us, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. How he stilled them, I don't know. Maybe it was a gesture with his hands. Maybe he went, shh, because that always works, right? Especially with two-year-olds. He stilled the people and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb is trying to turn the tide back in his favor. 
He believes God can give them the victory of the land. He says, let us all go. How do you think that came across? One other spy by the name of Joshua came. He's much younger than Caleb, but he stood beside Caleb in a motion of support saying, I believe what Caleb is saying. We can take it. The other 10 spies continue to talk about the giants in the land. And in verse 31, this is again what they say. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And then they go on to say how they felt like grasshoppers in the sight of all of the people that lived in the land that God said was going to be theirs. They were comparing themselves to the giants in that land rather than comparing the giants to their all-powerful creator. We're pretty good at that in our own lives, aren't we? Comparing ourselves to the problems in our life instead of comparing our problems in our life with our almighty creator. It becomes clear if we were to go on to chapter 14 that the people were going to ignore Caleb and Joshua's inclination to go into the land. And instead, they believed the majority report of the other 10. The Bible tells us the people began to weep. This report was a roller coaster of a ride. The Bible goes on to say all night long, the people cried. They were concerned about the obstacles, and that's all they could see, and those obstacles were bigger than God. And because the nation of Israel decided to follow the report of the ten instead of the two, and they did not have faith that their almighty God could give them that land, they wandered for 40 years in the desert instead of capturing that land. They failed to follow four words that were given to them in verse 20. Be of good courage. Have you ever watched a TV show or a movie where there's an opening scene and then the screen goes black and it says 10 years later? Well, this is 40 years later. We just had the opening scene. Let's now fast forward 20 year, 40 years They've wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Now they loop back around to take the land. It was Joshua's turn to lead them into the promised land. He would have to claim the land from its current inhabitants. He would have to fight and he would have to lead battles. Moses has passed away and Joshua was feeling the overwhelming weight of the responsibility of the battles that were before him. And so the Lord comes into Joshua's life and he speaks to him. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 5. This is 40 years later. And God says to Joshua, There shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I love that promise. God's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. And he goes to Joshua again. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. The same word spoken by God to Moses, good courage, is now given by God to Joshua saying, be of good courage. And by faith, Joshua followed God's battle plan. 
And in seven days, they conquered the very first great city they came across named Jericho. The courage that God promised Joshua, I want to be very clear, is also available to us today. But here's the question. How do we acquire it? How do we get that great courage? How do we obtain it for life's big challenges that we have? We admit we are not facing the sons of Anak, but yet there are seemingly real struggles that pose as giants in our lives. Where do we go? The Bible gives us the answer. The city of Raleigh, North Carolina, is named after Sir Walter Riley, who was one of the most famous explorers under Queen Elizabeth I. This is when England was expanding their empire. And Sir Walter Riley was courageous, and the queen loved that about him, and she rewarded him handsomely. One day, Sir Riley himself was had in the middle of a life crisis. And he wasn't sure where to turn. So he looked to one of his men and said, bring me the book. The man looked back at him because Sir Walter Riley had a very large library. He said, sir, I will bring you whatever book you want. Which book is it you would like me to bring you? And he said back to him, at a time like this, there is but one book, the Bible. The Bible is God's instruction manual for life. So let's look at the book that God instructed Joshua with. Verse number 7 of Joshua chapter 1. God's instructions further to Joshua. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest, notice these next three words, observe to do according to all of the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Joshua was simply to observe, to do the instructions of the Lord found in the portion of Scripture he had at that time, the law of Moses. Observe it and don't turn from it. Being strong and courageous usually does not require any grand gestures to start. More often, it's a series of small decisions that we make every day that show our trust in God. Think about the battle plan God handed Joshua to take on that great walled city of Jericho. The instructions for day one literally were, take some steps around the wall, just once. How do you start a battle plan like that? I tell you, one step at a time. And then you take another And then day one is done. And then day two, you do the same thing. Day seven, you follow those instructions. More often, life is made up of small decisions that accumulate over time. What fueled Joshua's courage? What really got it going? Courage is an act of faith based on what we know about God. God had shown Joshua to be, 
that he was always going to be faithful. Joshua trusted in that. And he said, okay, I see God. I have faith in you. I'm going to have courage to act out on the faith. Faith is believing in God's promises. It's believing God even though we don't see the end results yet. I like making decisions when I know the outcome. That's not faith. Faith is when God says, take this step and make this decision. But I don't see the end. All I know is God is telling me to make this step of faith. And I don't see the end result yet. It's the evidence of things not seen. Joshua could take on the walled city because he had faith in God. And if I were to open the floor right now up for questions, anyone have a question? And a hand goes up. I say, yes. Um, got a question. I need courage in my life. But if faith is what fuels courage, I'm afraid that I'm a little low on faith. And I'm glad that question was asked. So we need to look at what grows faith so we could get to the courage that we want to have. And like so many things, the answer is in Scripture. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It isn't simply the physical receiving of sounds. It is something more like the acceptance of the message. Giving proper attention to the word of God is essential for us to acquire faith. D.L. Moody said this, I prayed for faith. Have you ever prayed for faith? I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not seem to come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, Now faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I opened my Bible and began to study, and faith has been growing ever since. So if we find ourselves praying for faith, we need to get into the word of God and hear the word of God. This is exactly what God instructed Joshua so he'd have the faith needed to fuel his courage. Let's go a little bit deeper into Joshua chapter 1. Let's now go to verse number 8. And God is continuing to speak here. He said, okay, Moses, I'm going on. More instruction. Get out your pad. Write this down. You ready? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, Thou shalt may- that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. And as we program our minds with the Lord's thoughts, he will guide us throughout the day. Imagine you're driving down the road and your car begins to sputter. You look down at the gas gauge and say, oh my, I'm not on E, I am below E. Have you ever been there? Isn't it a wonderful feeling? Especially if you're out on 81, where you know there's a gas station maybe 40 miles away. Your car begins to sputter. You look down, you say, oh, no, I need gas. So immediately, you begin to look for a gas what? 
station. Gas fuels my car. So if I'm low on gas, where do I need to go? The gas station. Our courage is fueled by faith. So if I'm running low on faith, where do I need to go? The Word of God. I need to hear, accept the message that God has for me when I study His Word and when I get into it and I read it. God's Word wasn't given to us just to increase our knowledge about Him. It was given to change our lives. And everyone in this room should be living by faith, trusting God even though we don't know the end result yet. Husband, wife, teenager, young professional, you should be living by faith. Married or single, you should be living by faith. Newlyweds, living by faith. If you have small children, you should be living by faith. If you have teenagers, you're already living by faith in a prayer, so you're good. Empty nesters. Retirees, you need to be living by faith. If you've been saved for 30, 40, 50 plus years, you should still be living by faith. And if I were to sit down with you and say, tell me a story of how God gave you instruction. You stepped out by faith, listening to him, and you saw God answer amazing prayers. And you saw God do awesome things in your life. Tell me those stories. You know what I wonder? How far back would you have to go to come up with a story? Would it be last week? Last month? Would it be in the year 2022? He said, man, God told me a step to take. I was scared to death. I didn't know where it was going to lead, but I took it out of faith, and God did something amazing for me and my family. Do you have current stories of how you're living by faith and seeing God work? No matter how long we've been saved, we need to be living by faith. An older couple might look at a younger newlywed couple and say, yeah, you're living by faith. I've been there. But they need to look back at you and say, you should still be living by faith too as an example for us. No matter what age, how long we've been saved, we need to be living by faith. Good courage is a faith-driven boldness. The greatest example we have of courage in the Bible is when Jesus Christ faced the cross. On his final walk to Jerusalem, he knew he'd be ridiculed, rejected, suffered, and die in the end. He knew that on the cross, he would not only endure physical suffering, but in the process, take upon himself all of the punishment that you and I deserve. He did it out of love for us, and in the process, set in motion redemption for all who turned to him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through what? Through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's the gift from God. And it's not of works so that you could get to the point where you could actually boast about it. It is only through faith. It's not enough to have knowledge about the Bible or to know stories and be able to recount People in the Bible and how they saw God work. You must accept Jesus Christ personally into your life. Only he can change your life. I heard the story of a shepherd who was one, out one afternoon tending his sheep when a young professional businessman pulled up in his shiny SUV. The man got out, 
walked on over to the shepherd and said, you know, you guys have always intrigued me. Shepherd kind of looked up at him and said, oh, yeah? He said, yeah. Businessman looks out over the field and just all of his sheep, all of them. He goes, I tell you what, if I can tell you how many sheep you have, will you let me keep one? It's an odd request. Shepherd looked at him and said, uh, well, I suppose, okay. The businessman went back to the back of his SUV, lifted up the back hatch, got out his laptop, logged into a satellite, punched in some commands. He had a little printer there, printed out a report, grabbed a piece of paper, walked on over to the shepherd and said, you have exactly 2,235 sheep. The man said, that is amazing. Wow. The businessman picked up an animal, put it in the back of his SUV, closed the hatch. And the shepherd said, wait a second. If I can tell you what you do, will you pay me back? The man just kind of sneered and said, okay, give it a shot, kid. What you got? Shepherd looked at him and said, you're a consultant. The man said, wow, you are right. How did you know? He said, well, for one, you came without an invitation. <laughs> Two, you told me something I already know. And charged me for it. And three, you really don't know anything about my business, and I would like my dog back. (laughs) The world is filled with spiritual consultants who claim to know everything about the Bible, who claim to already know everything about church, but what they don't know is the great shepherd personally. I ask you this morning, have you accepted Christ into your life? Have you repented and asked him to forgive you of your past and save your future? Where you are depending on him and him alone, nothing else. We sang to him earlier, in Christ alone. That is salvation. It's not an accumulation of gods from all of the religions together, hoping that one of them got it right. It is instead in Christ alone. Are you trusting in Christ alone? I ask you to have the courage to change course and allow him to change your life. But Christians, you too need the courage to change. It might be courage to stop something that's in your life that is hindering you from living your fullest walk with the Lord. It might be courage to start something, something that you know you should be doing, but you've just procrastinated and you've put it off and you haven't taken that first step yet for what you know you should start. Courage maybe to take the next step the Lord has been speaking to you about getting more involved in service in the church, being a bolder witness. Remember Joshua's battle plan that was given to him by God. It wasn't a grand big gesture to start taking down Jericho. It was literally steps. Maybe you need the courage to change and take some steps. It doesn't matter if they're big as long as they are in the right direction. Sometimes we not only need courage to change, we need courage to continue. 
Life has its highs and its lows, its mountains and its valleys, but the truth is, in between the highs and the lows, it's normally mundane. It's normally the humdrum, the same thing in and out. And we need courage sometimes just to continue doing what we know we should be doing. Sometimes we don't like our seat in life. And we want to change seats. Every one of us has things that we wish were different in our life. And we look up to God and we say, I don't like where I'm at right now. I want to change seats. And it's okay to ask God if you want to change seats. Say, God, can I please change seats? I taught high school for some years. And freshmen always got assigned seats. And it wasn't uncommon for them to come up at some point after that and say, can I change seats? There might be a friend that they want to go and sit with. It might be they're sitting next to someone that's annoying and they just want to get away from them. Maybe they can't see the board and they want to move up, but they want to change seats. Some of you right now are wishing you could change seats. I got, some, I got four here and I got four right here down front. We go to a restaurant and... We want to change seats because we want to sit by the window and look out at the beach. We're on an airplane. We just wish we could sit more closer to the front. We want to change our seat and get to first class, maybe. There's nothing wrong with asking God if we can change seats. But if God comes back and he says, this is your assigned seat for now. That's where I have you. Then we need to accept his plan for our life. Say, okay, God, I wanted to change seats, but this, this is where you want me. I'm going to stay right here and serve you. And I'm going to have the courage to continue. The Apostle Paul asked God three times if he could change seats. The Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn. He said, God, I got a thorn in the seat where I'm at. Can I please change seats somehow? I want to move. And God said, no. The Apostle Paul asked two more times. And God said, no, this is where I have you. And Paul just finally said, okay, this is my assigned seat. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to sit here with joy. I'm going to have the courage to continue to do, God, exactly what you have me to do. And I say to you, have courage to continue. And you could get that courage by having faith and trust in the Lord. And you could get that faith by getting in the word of God. Courage is fueled by faith. But if we're feeling a little low on faith, we could fill up in the Word of God. What do you need courage in today? Change? Continue? Just go on where the Lord has you? Whatever it is, know this. You can do it with joy and gladness in victory, because that's what God promises. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening 
by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.